This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Come Holy Spirit, our hope, Lord, is that you want to speak to us even more than we want to hear from you. Lord, come and be in our midst, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our salvation. Amen. Good morning. So I'm not um, sure how many of you tuned in for the Democratic or the Republican convention. I did not watch all of both. I watched parts of both, um, but I couldn't, I couldn't do the whole thing. But um, what was promised by both candidates in the parts that I heard about and saw, and in every other convention that I have seen, is um, the things that they promise touch on what we most long for. So to be clear, I am not saying that the candidates will actually deliver on any of these promises, but I am saying that the hunger for justice, for security and safety, for freedom, for dignity, for order, for equality, for human flourishing, are the things that politicians kind of um, speak about because they're, the th they're things that human hearts are made for. They are good things that we long for, that we're made for. And so the key in on that and, and promise us things, promise us order and justice, promise us um, hope, promise us, uh, promise us blessing and flourishing. So part of all of, all, all of us longs for goodness, for peace, for justice. And when we long for these things, we are longing for the kingdom of God. Good and just politics can never bring the kingdom of God in its fullness, but it can do a modicum of good on earth. Politics is not a bad thing. So politicians speak to our souls and promise these things that we hope for. Promise these things, honestly, that we are made for. But there is something that you will not find in either the Democratic or the Republican platform, something that wasn't celebrated at either convention and wasn't promised at either convention, and um, that neither politician would ever run on or win on or promise you, and that is suffering. It won't work well, suffering 2020, or 20, yeah, 2020. It may be more accurate, but it's never something, it's never the party platform. Come and die will not be a winning slogan for either party, ever, in America or elsewhere. And because we're used to politicians selling themselves to us, and we've been kind of habituated through democracy and the consumer market that others should sort of sell themselves to us, we often approach life and are taught to approach life and everyone in, 
in life, and God himself mainly concerned with the question, so what's in it for me? What's in this for me? And right before our passage in Matthew today, it's, it begins with from this time on, right? That's where we started. From this time on, Jesus begins. So right before that, let's look at what, what that time was. What, what it's referring to right before our passage is that Peter has this incredible insight. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, he gets it. This wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus understood, or Peter understood who Jesus was in a way that very few did. He understood that this was the Messiah that they had longed for and hoped for for generations and generations. This was the one that has coming to establish the kingdom of God. He recognized Jesus as the Messiah. But in Peter's imagination about the world, the Messiah would look a certain way and act a certain way and enact, bring about a kind of political change. The Messiah would bring the kingdom of God and that looked a certain way in Peter's imagination. He would set things right on earth. He would bring order, freedom, peace. He would end depression. And then from that very moment, when Peter has this realization, when he gets it, from that very moment, Jesus begins to talk about how he will suffer and die. And Peter says, no, this is not the way it's supposed to work. This isn't what the Messiah is. The Messiah doesn't die a criminal's death on a cross. The Messiah does not suffer and lay down his life. Peter wants the kingdom to come, but he wants it without a cross. This is always what the world wants, the kingdom without a cross. In Matthew, earlier in Matthew, in four, um, Matthew 4, 8 through 9, Satan tempts Jesus with his very thing. We find Jesus tempted in the wilderness, and Satan says to him, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. He's saying, Jesus who, by the way, Jesus is the reigning king of the world. Jesus was do that kind of worship, do that kind of glory. But Satan is saying to Jesus, the king of kings, that you can have your authority without vulnerability, that you can have glory without suffering. And Satan's temptation is to say, you can have everything due to you, all the power that's due to you, you can bring the kingdom and you don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. And here, Peter, this one who, on whom Jesus builds the church, this great man of faith that we revere, has the same mindset as the devil, as the tempter. As one commentator um, that I read put it, he said, the world's values are the devil's values, and to value the things of the world puts you in league with the devil. If we value power, if we value our own safety and security and life 
and to have no suffering. We are not valuing the things of God. So Jesus takes this very seriously. He speaks to Satan here. He speaks to Peter as if he is Satan. He calls him Satan. Because they're offering the same temptation. It's the same, almost the same words from different mouths. And he says, get behind me to Peter. And this is an interesting phrase because... um, One thing that it could mean is that rabbis or teachers at the time had their disciples or apprentices literally walk behind them. The rabbi would go forward and his his students would follow him. And so this showed submission, this showed respect, this showed authority on on, um, on the part of the rabbi. And Jesus here is is quite literally putting Peter in his place. He's saying, get behind me. He's reminding Peter, you are not the rabbi here. You don't teach me what messiahship looks like. I teach you what kind of messiah I am. I am a messiah that suffers and dies. In fact, I bring the kingdom, everything you are most longing for, through my very death. And resurrection. In literature, they call this a reversal. It's the moment when the plot twists, when the very thing that you least expect comes to pass. Jesus is the Messiah that people have waited for for generations and generations to set things right, to end oppression, to establish the power of Israel. And as soon, the second that that's revealed, he promises suffering and death. It's this reversal of everything that was expected. And the disciples must have felt like, what good is it to have a Messiah if he isn't going to do what we want him to do? If this was a democracy, he'd be voted out. He would never get the vote with this campaign. But this is not a democracy. This is the king establishing the kingdom. The true king, our king, establishing his kingdom. The cross is not incidental to the mission of Jesus. It is central to the mission of Jesus. It's indispensable. And he talks about his own suffering and death, and then he turns to the disciples, and he calls the disciples to suffer. If the rabbi is going to suffer and die, he expects expects no less from his students. They will apprentice him in death. They will apprentice him in suffering. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. He means this very literally and actually. He means that many of, of the disciples are going to actually die. We can take this as if it was entirely metaphorical in our moment of history. But most of these men that he's speaking to, and many women that were followers of his, did eventually die for their devotion to Jesus. So what does this mean for us in our moment? Let me go through a few things. Number one, we need to be very skeptical 
of any promise of God's glory, of God's coming kingdom, that it does not entail a cross. The way of power promises power and authority with no weakness, and it is a lie. There are religious people on both the left and the right that want to use God to shore up political power for a a particular political party or for America. And this is not the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. He is always surprising. And we can want to use God as a mascot for our own agenda or for our own plans, for our own political party. And Jesus refuses to be a mascot for us. He always surprises us. He always reverses expectations. His call is always to vulnerability, to meekness, to service, to laying down our lives for the sake of others. He is not found among the powerful, but among the least of these. Anytime we want power without weakness, We want life without vulnerability. We want the kingdom without a cross. We need to let ourselves be rebuked by Jesus here and relearn what kind of Messiah he is. Relearn the kind of reversal that the kingdom of God brings. So number two, what does this mean for us? If you want to follow Jesus, if we want to follow Jesus, we must learn to be willing to die. You must be willing to suffer. I'm not going to give any false campaign promises here because Jesus didn't. He didn't try to sell himself to get your vote. Do not come to Jesus unless you are willing or want to be willing to surrender your life and everything in it to him your hopes, your dreams, your money, your safety, your power, your success, your sexuality, your relationships, your politics, your children, your life. His call for us is the same as it was for the disciples. He expects no less. But number three, what if this sounds scary or intimidating? Well, it should. You're taking him seriously. Take Jesus at his word. We, as evangelicals, can often talk about conversion like it's this instant thing, like we give our hearts to Jesus or accept Jesus and we are converted, like one and done, it's over. But we need to also think of the Christian life as this kind of continual process of conversion, giving our lives to Jesus day by day, more and more, letting Jesus claim more and more territory of our hearts. And this continual process of conversion is also to be more and more willing to suffer for Jesus. A way to understand discipleship would be growing more and more willing to suffer for Jesus. Not out of duty, not out of some kind of stoic resolve, but because he loves us. And we have learned more and more what kind of surprising Messiah he is. We have learned to trust his crazy, baffling way of love, way of weakness, way of vulnerability, 
because we have learned that he loves us and we trust him. My prayer is that we fall so in love with who Jesus is that anything we could give, including our very lives, is a small price to pay for life in the kingdom of God. I may have shared this quote with you before, but I couldn't remember, and I figured if I can't remember, you probably can't either. So um, it's one of my very favorite quotes. By, it's by Eugene Peterson, and I read it um, nearly every day before I sit down to write. It says, Jesus is the dictionary in which we look up the meaning of words. When we look up glory in Jesus, we find, are we ever ready for this? Obscurity, rejection, and humiliation, incomprehension, and misapprehension, a sacrificial life, and an obedient death. The brightness of God, backlighting what the world despises or ignores. Jesus' kingship led to his death. His brightness is seen in the things that the world despises and ignores. He entered vulnerability, he entered suffering, and he calls us to the same. Jesus did not bend over backwards to win a vote. He's not bending over backwards to win your vote or America's vote. He's not after our approval. He's after our life. He is the Messiah. Will you let him teach you to follow him? Will you let him teach you what kind of Messiah he is? And could we still be baffled by this great reversal? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.